0: But it's helpful to know how many people are walking in. This technology also tells us that anybody four foot two or shorter are kids. So right. it actually counts kids and adults coming in the entry. So interesting. from that, I know how many guests are coming in, how many kids are guests. Yeah. I can analyze bar revenue per adult, total food and beverage spend, game room spend, bowling, of course. And when you have multiple locations, you can put them side by side and say, how is this center?
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Don. I know we've had to move it a couple of times. I'm glad you're feeling better. But for the people that have not had a chance to meet you, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to.
0: Okay. My name's Don McBrain and I have a bowling problem. I actually started bowling in Canada in a little five pin, eight lane, five pin center Oh wow! when I was a kid. And Brunswick came to town in 1973 when I was still a junior in high school. And opened a center there and I went down and applied and got a job with Brunswick as I was finishing up high school and a few years in college. And I uh, got involved in their management program and spent a 40 year career with Brunswick. Yeah. And retired wow. in 2013 as vice president of operations, Brunswick <clears throat> for the Brunswick Zone XL brand, right. which was. The large big box facilities that we started building after the turn in bowling where it became much less focused on leagues and much more focused on how do we get the masses in and right. not to just league bowlers. So we created the Brunswick Zone XL brand, which was bigger, big game rooms, more robust food and beverage, laser tag split house so you could still have leagues but have cosmic going on the other side. Right. And uh, and really get big into group events and and heavy open play. Then retired from that in, in from Brunswick in 2013 and started performance entertainment with three partners who were developers. So they were people who developed high-end Condos and 100 home neighborhoods and commercial buildings, senior assisted living facilities and mm. stuff. And they got interested in bowling. And we, I was just retiring from Brunswick and we put a, a company together called Performance Entertainment and uh, built and I was the operator of the company and we built three facilities here in Colorado, Mm
1: -hmm. 350000
0: square foot facilities. Okay. Yeah. I
1: didn't know you had three, but I knew there was more than one. Uh,
0: And then I guess, go ahead. No, I was just going to say we had uh, one in Colorado Springs, one up in the Loveland, Fort Collins area. And Mm -hmm. third one that we built was on the north side of Denver in Fort.
1: Okay. And then you uh, sold those to the main event you said, right?
0: we did we my my partners as i say were all developers this was really their last they're slightly older than me not a lot older but uh, this was really their last sort of realm of business and as a developer you build you buy some land you build the concept and you sell it and Mm -hmm. go on to the next project buy build sell go on to the next project. buy build sell this one was different this is buy land, build the facility and operate. Right, hold. And so they're not really, they weren't really operators. So they're not necessarily, we were never, we never went into this with a legacy of we'll pass it on to our kids or anything like that. It was a, a, a true development type business mentality that we went in on this with. (laughs) Finding the right buyer was tricky and we were fortunate just to hit the intersection of being interested in to main event while they were still main event and not part of Dave and Buster's. Right. And so we were able to negotiate and uh, finalize a sale on, in March of 2023, where they purchased all the assets. And, and then I stayed on for a year to sort of assist in the transition. And uh, help them understand some of the things that we do in business that maybe they weren't doing. And and help them organically with their 50 other operations sure. to pick up some tricks and tips on operating. So, yeah,
1: and they don't do a lot of independent acquisitions, right? They usually build from scratch. So this they is do. They,
0: we were their only acquisition that they've oh, ever wow. done. and uh, And probably because our buildings were built from the ground up yeah. and, uh, and very suited to be able to take the summit sign off, put the main right. event sign on. And uh, because we all had uh, bowling, large game rooms and, and really full commercial kitchens yeah, and lots of dining space. So I think that's what made it like a fairly easy acquisition for them. Right, And we that's owned our right. real estate. So It was a marriage with their REIT organizations
1: as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you sold both of them.
0: Yeah. I'd like to take a second
1: to go a little bit back to Brunswick, like you were saying. You said you were over the XL division. When is that something that developed? Because obviously it's been a longstanding transition from the more league house focused centers to some still there, but other ones doing the FEC style. When was that transition and how long did you ride that and up to how many locations was the X Yeah, so Uh,
0: it was 2002 that we, 2001 that we really decided that's the way that we're going to move down the road. We weren't Mm -hmm. going to build any more traditional bowling centers. I can't remember the last time, it was probably in the early 90s. Mm. was the last traditional sort of 40 lane,
1: 36,000
0: square foot facility that we built and then we studied it and we opened reds in edmonton alberta canada which was huge sort of disney-esque fec yeah and but then that was it's like a destination area what can we do to get into the traditional markets in the united states and so the first one that we built was from the ground up the first one that we built was right here in colorado in my backyard mm at Lone Tree and it was a 65,000 square foot building, 48 lanes, 32 split, 16, 32, 16, big game room, huge bar, big kitchen, laser tag, sales offices, lots Mm -hmm. of circulation space and all that kind of stuff. So that one was 2004. Okay. And and then between 2004 and 2012, we built I think a total of 14. Okay. In that time space.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, so it was uh, yeah it was sort of a, a little bit of breaking ground for the industry for this traditional behemoth retail right. bowling company to to step into the FEC world. Right.
1: Definitely uh, a different space.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we did things that we still had leagues. We didn't have leagues on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so we kept yeah. leagues from Monday to Thursday. I remember being in the sales office for Lone Tree. We had a off-site sales office, and a fellow came in wanting to get information about bowling on a Friday night. I happened to be in the office, and our GM explained, well, we don't have any Friday night leagues. And the guy said, well, how are you ever going to be in the bowling business if you don't have Friday night and Saturday night? And uh, so anyways, then we've got Thursday night, if you're interested in that, we got, and then the conversation went on and we said, by the way, this is a non-smoking facility. So this is 2004, Colorado, right. was still a little bit wild west. Nobody was going non-smoking. Up. Yeah. And the guy said, oh yeah, you guys are dead. There's no way it's going <laughs> to happen. No smoking right. and no weekend leagues. Yeah. How are you ever going to do it?
1: So, it
0: was really a, a mindset change for uh, a lot of people. But yeah. so we are focused in on 2% of the community that does smoke and Neglecting the 98% of league bowlers and people that want to come into the facility but won't because of smoking or always reserved for
1: leagues or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So just getting pretty good. Right. Exactly. Opening up your customer base. Is that just a trend that you guys identified early on or just saw things move in that direction? Or that's a big investment. What's something that kind of made you guys say, all right, this is kind of where we see things going? Obviously, you're right.
0: Yeah, it's, I think it was just that it was certainly the decline in league. I mean, I've been operating since the seventies. So it was a time where the only time you could get into the men's industrial commercial league is if somebody passed away right. and you sort of got, you were an heir apparent to that team on the league Yeah, and, and then got to the point where if you were asking people to sign up for a 16 week league commitment, they looked at you like you had two heads. So the whole industry was certainly changing that way and and it became so apparent that there was opportunity in this whole world of people that would come to us twice a year instead right. of 35 times a year right and that they would spend more and yes. that they would tend to have a better time even i mean i'm a league bowler i mean i put my kids through college because of my ability to market and develop league bowling right but but still in all it's a huge dynamic change too people right. who are coming in for a three-hour visit totally just wanting to be with their friends or their family totally just wanting to blow off steam forget about life for a while yeah versus the competitive league boards right it's quite a difference
1: yeah two yeah two different things there's no right or wrong it's just a matter of what you're optimizing yeah for. exactly yeah. Uh, yeah, it's fun to see that. And it is fun to be able to provide families with fun or something, a place to go. It is. Yeah. So let's move over a little bit into kind of maybe not today, but what was working for you, some of the things maybe you taught, at least that you can speak about, taught to the main event or some of the things that made your centers so successful. Is there anything you could share with proprietors on what made that work so well in being able to make that exit?
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, I have looked at the business from sort of two perspectives one is sort of the art of the business meaning how do guests feel when they come in what do they feel when they're there what do they feel when they leave what are their interactions like with the team members and and the team members themselves how how do they feel about working there and how do you capture their hearts it's all on the sort of the business all the impressions that you make on people. And then there's the science side of the business, which I kind of like too, which is all about analyzing the P and L and analyzing sort of the business trends and how do I get more business in a day part that I need more right. business. And how do I make the peak times a little bit more efficient. And how can I get my supply costs from 3% to two and a half? Yeah. Those kind of things on the science side, are equally intriguing to me. So I like approaching the business from those two aspects. Yes, I like that. But probably the single biggest thing that made a difference, I spent some time handling the marketing for Brunswick Retail Centers when we had (laughs) 135 locations or something. And I started our customer database so that each location was gathering database and we actually started off sort of even this was before email marketing was popular but Mm. we'd send out monthly postcards okay just to part of the biggest issue with our business is we've got to stay top of mind yeah with people who are thinking on monday or thursday or even friday night hey what are we going to do this week exactly Exactly. And so we started, I was sending out, eventually I was sending out like three quarters of a million postcards every month.
1: Wow. A month?
0: two A month. Wow. Two, we had 135 locations. Okay. Yeah. And so each location had maybe three or four or 5,000 people in their database. and And we sent out a themed postcard for every month. Like February was Valentine's theme. And it was all about, and it was... We had all these variables. I gave the, the manager, the general managers and the operations. Do you want to do this package or this pack? What do you want to market? Yeah. And so the, we had variables. And then I had the center address, the guest address, and did this whole massive mail mar- merge and got them all out on the 28th of the month before. Wow. And they made it on the fridge or they stayed on the toaster yeah. or wherever they hang out. And and just create a top of mind. That right. created 5% lift in mm-hmm. the number of games that we sold. Yeah. That campaign. Because it helped to keep us top of mind. Right. We started to switch towards email marketing, much more electronic database. So my three centers that we sold each had about 50,000 people apiece wow. in their guest or database. Right. And it it was very robust. We, if somebody, like twice a year, we keep track of who opens and who doesn't open the email. And if yeah. after six or eight months, they haven't opened an email, we send them a super duper offer. Hey, we noticed you haven't. And yeah. eventually we'll cleanse them out if they're, because right. the market changes about 15% every year people move out of, if you've got you a are, 20... Right. Mile or 20 minute drive radius time, every year 15% of it moves out, maybe across town and they're no longer really in the market or whatever. Absolutely. Right. So it has to be robust. And so consequently, when you have 50,000 people in your database, you have to get a thousand new ones every week. Yeah. In order to keep your turn, you keep your database growing and keep that turn flush. Right. Yeah. There's a shelf Uh, life. Yes. Exactly right. And keep it relevant. So we had a remarkable 32 to 35% open rate. Wow. Our yeah, that's great. Yeah. And, and a lot of click throughs. So it was really, and talk about staying top of mind it, you know, it's all about the subject line and getting people to go, wow, click on that. And truly what it boiled down to is from the old Days of league bowlers where we had thirty-five hundred adult league bowlers bowling across seven days. If I'm going to have a Saint Patrick's Day tournament, I could go lane to lane, talk to every guest in seven days, and make sure every one of them was aware of that, and even put a flyer in their hand.
1: Right.
0: When you have guests coming two or three times a year, you you can't do that. Right. So you have to figure out a way to to be relevant to have offers that they're going to open and and be a big part of making that the chunk of your market and of course social media and all the rest go with it so we had to figure out something to replace yellow pages
1: right yeah <laughs> those two are the same concept just a different platform or application but it's the yeah. same thing keep in top of mind i always try to convey the concept that most people have a short list of things that they're going to do on a weekend, you know, the same three or four restaurants or whatever they're going to do. As long as you're on that list and you keep somewhere and you don't drop off that short list, you're going to get your hits eventually. And yeah, if exactly. you can take someone from two times a year to three or four, oh, you can
0: essentially double your business just by getting it one or two extra times a year. Exactly. You know?
1: And that's because easier. Because it's a big
0: spend. Right. It's a big spend. But on the flip side, it's a big commitment to us to make sure, I mean, if you think about how busy people's lives are and they're deciding that they're going to spend two and a half, three hours at your place with their kids or with their extended family that are visiting or with their pals or whatever. And they're going to, they're going to spend a couple of hundred dollars, maybe $300. Right. They're going to spend 15 minutes driving there. I mean, in the middle of the day or whatever, it's a huge commitment. We yeah. just have to make sure that we execute flawlessly. Right. Right. Gotta make sure that Friday, Saturday, Sunday we're staffed right, all the equipment's working, mm. like pristine, inventory's right, all the prep is good and and all the rest of it in order to see if we can get that hundred thousand dollar Saturday. Or right. whatever, whatever the goal is, to stretch it. I mean, I've always thought there is a way to analyze a Saturday, even if a place is a Busy Saturday, they're doing a forty thousand dollars salary or whatever it may be. There's a way to get it to forty five. Right. There's a way to take your busiest day and make it better through proper staffing, proper preparation, making sure everything's working right, figure out how to make the turn faster and easier, all that kind of stuff. That's a little bit more the science right. of the business is Yeah. Adding ways to, I mean, effectively get a whole another three hours in the day. How can you
1: figure yeah. out to do that? Right. Yeah. yeah increase their spend or yeah, whatever it is yep. while they're there. Yep. Uh, I, over time, talking to different proprietors, I've kind of come to the conclusion there's really only three ways you can increase the business. You can increase your average ticket, the visit frequency, how many times they get you, and then just new customers coming through the door. Yep. So
0: any combination
1: right. of those, is that's basically your three options.
0: You're exactly right. Agree with that.
1: Yeah, Toby, is there anything maybe on the science side that you've seen work well, whether it's engineering a nice wait list where they're doing activities during that, or what have you done some of the science things to increase maybe that average ticket or get more out of those precious visits
0: that people make? I've always been a proponent of embracing technology. So we try to stay on the leading edge of a lot of that. And we're big on people being able to book online. Yeah. In in the meat of the season, we're sort of on the northern side of the country in Colorado. So we really do have some seasonality. Sure. But in the November, December, January, February, March part of the season, booked business is 35% of our open. Okay. And, and it's big. We only book at rack rate. We add a convenience fee. One thing that's come out of the pandemic is having food delivered to the house, making sure that life is simple and all the conveniences that we've sort of figured out through the pandemic, I think are things that are going to keep with legs. They're going to, they're going to, it's going to be the last thing to drop off if we do hit a recession. Convenience fees and booking things and stuff like that might be one of the last things to draw. Sure. But, but that that was really big. And then we added on a lot of things like if they're booking for five people and they put their names in, we just assume they're going to need five pair of rental shoes. So we just add that in. I see. And then they can add on game cards. They can add on laser tag and they can bundle all that in and click and buy it and reserve it for seven days, 10 days, two days out. And then when they come in, and all that is already paid. Uh, the food and beverage spend goes up, right? Because it's like that.
1: Spend yeah, for like activities lot, is yeah, already raised, yeah, right?
0: Already done behind. Yeah. It. And then they leave having spent another hundred and seventy-five in food and beverage, mm-hmm. feeling like, wow, that was three hours. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, and they don't feel quite so pained by the right. full amount. Yeah, you kind of space out. Yeah, so I really think that that's made a a huge difference from a technology standpoint. I analyze things probably to the point where I've got some matrix that I look at every week. I know we have guest counters, so I know how many guests walk in Mm -hmm. every day by hour and uh, which helps to load your staff on intelligently. Mm -hmm. If you look at revenue, it's a lagging factor to the guest walking in, right? So right. if you're looking yeah. at revenue yeah. by hour,
1: right, it's right,
0: behind right. the guest count. So if you look at guest count coming in, you can actually get an hour ahead of them with staffing.
1: Is that what the lag is? About an hour lag?
0: That's the lag. Okay. So maybe two hours behind okay. the revenue. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's their
1: length of stay, right?
0: And depending on their length of stay and, right. and when they cash out transactions take place. Interesting. But it's helpful to know how many people are walking in. This technology also... Tells us that anybody four foot two or shorter are kids. So mm-hmm. it actually counts kids and adults coming in the entry. So Interesting. from that, I know how many guests are coming in, how many kids are guests. Yeah. I can analyze bar revenue per adult, total mm-hmm. food and beverage spend, game room spend, bowling, of course. And when you have multiple locations, you can put them side by side and say, how is this center getting $7.35 in bar revenue for adult guests. And this one's getting $5.50.
1: Yeah, right.
0: And wow. so you start to kind of think about ways that you can improve. And yes. you're looking at last year and you're looking at Friday versus Saturday versus Sunday. Yeah. You're looking at total guest spend and things like that. So those kind of analytics kind of drive some thought process. You can get pretty sleepy in this business. Yeah, no, you know so have been really doing it for a deep while, deep yeah. yeah, you've been doing it for a while. It's like the old mimeograph machine. It's just boom mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But if you, I love it. If you if you stop long enough to look at some of the analytics, like one of the things that we did, which which is pretty interesting, we always kind of thought, what is what is the maximum business we could have? In what is what's like, when you have a when you're selling by the game? It's really difficult to try to figure out. You could say, we should be able to sell five games an hour. We got this many lanes, this many hours. So maybe this number of games makes sense. Now that it's time, if you're open from 10 in the morning to one in the morning, you have 32 lanes, you know exactly how many hours you could sell on the Yeah, set. right. And you're selling everything by time. So you're selling it by the hour and a half, two hours birthday parties you put in, group events you put in, all of a sudden you can say, we ran at 82.5% lane efficiency. Yeah. To the total that we could have. Right. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's not bad. It's kind of cool to know where you're at. And then it's a matter of saying, how do we get to 85? <laughs> right. How can we squeeze it? You're like, where are the holes? Like what's going on? Yeah. So those are the kinds of things from a science of the business. That kind of get me a little tingly.
1: Yeah. No, that's really cool. Now, do you ever do a comparison of the occupancy, like total occupancy versus revenue? Is there a way you could potentially get a lower efficiency but a higher revenue? Or have you worked on a pricing matrix? Because
0: yeah, across our three locations, we have one that always performs the best in total revenue per guest mm-hmm. visit. So They would come in at $35 average spend, every guest that walks in the door, $35 revenue per guest. Now that's not a perfect matrix because mom and dad might walk in, drop off their kid for a birthday party, walk out, walk in again, pick up the kid for a birthday party. All of a sudden you got four adults that have come in and spent. Yeah. Right. Or you got the smokers that are going in and out. Right. Or you've got this kind of stuff. So Every now and then, and you got employees and vendors and stuff, because you try to figure out one yeah,
1: what's your margin of error.
0: So there's all of that. The number isn't going to be totally accurate, but when you're comparing to another place that's doing $29, but they have more guests coming in, now you start to look at where are those guests spending their money? And if it's a little bit more game room and a little less food and beverage, then, you know, you start to dig deeper into it and say, how can we, what are we missing there to a certain degree? So you do those kind of analytics to, just to try to get better. Yeah. And if an industry, as an industry, there's just, there's so many variables. It's the issue, even with three locations, so So it's hard to benchmark that stuff so that you could say, the industry's doing this and I'm doing this. So it's kind of difficult, but what you can do is analyze it, even on a single operator standpoint. So how can we do a little bit better?
1: Right. You're your own benchmark. Yes. Yeah, that 83 to 85. Yeah, exactly. I like that. What do you use? Is that through, are you like a Brunswick Sync guy or what do you guys use for those analytics?
0: Yeah, we have Sync in all three of our locations, but that's just a standalone people counter. We actually installed it as a test in one location about six months before the pandemic. And uh, then the other two locations, we installed it because... We got the county to pay for it in those locations oh, right. during the pandemic. So it could help uh, us managing the yeah. number of guests walking in. I so that was pretty right. cool. That right. was pretty cool. <laughs> but it's not expensive. And there's plenty of them that are out there. And then you just get a dashboard and you see all this stuff. You can grab it all and put it into your weekly analytics and it'll just, you know, set up the formulas. I mean, I my weekly report. Oh, I don't know. I just, Probably 300 rows of data really? by weekly report. Wow. have
1: Google a data studio or what are you using for something for that?
0: No, it's like a good old fashioned Excel. Oh, it is. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty wild. There's a bunch of stuff yeah. that we dump into it, but each day we actually enter in. How many hours of bowling we sold? How many lines of league bowling? What our wow. total revenue yeah. total bowling was total shoe round. It's entered in all the way down. Okay. And then payroll analytics hours i'm big on understanding where our productivity is i love having a kitchen manager tell me wow we were scheduled for 85 dollars an hour in food revenue per line cook hour we came in at 92 so you got a kitchen manager that can tell you what their stats are right on productivity yeah. scheduled versus actual it's like all right we're making some headway right
1: yeah you're all moving in the same direction yeah that's really cool so you do all that from a spreadsheet
0: wow That's impressive, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. The guy that embraces technology. I'm sure there's a better way to do it, but yeah,
1: like they said, the Google Data Studio is just a way to visualize the spreadsheet. But you know, it's working for you. Why change it? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's very cool. Else on the art side, I know we're getting towards the top of the hour, so I want to respect your time. But anything else on the art side you could you would recommend or share? You know, I
0: think from the art side, the biggest thing facing people today is not only employee turnover, but manager turnover. Yeah. And from an art standpoint, it's probably the, the first tactic to handling turnover is stop digging the hole, mm-hmm. work on ways to stop the turnover to start with. Right. And that's all about capturing hearts. One of, one of the issues is we tell people that apply for us for part-time work, want 20 hours a week or something like that. We say, okay, look, you got to give me Saturday. That's every, everybody works Saturday. And they either have to give me Friday or Sunday, and then give me four hours on a weekday or something like that. Mm-hmm. Then we end up calling them in on their day off. We end up saying, hey, instead of six, can you give me eight hours on Friday? Instead of eight, can you give me 12 on Saturday? We're burning out part-time employees right. that really just want a part-time. And so we're not, we're not a match for them anymore. And uh, because people more than ever want to seek balance between their work life and their home life, and if this yeah. is a part-time job, they've already got another job. Now they got to seek balance between all three. Yeah, and we just have to respect that. So part of the art is really developing that one-on-one with even. I mean, our facilities we'd have eight salaried managers, maybe. 20 full-time hourly folks and seasonally between 70 and 85 part-time people. You have to, you have to develop a relationship. The management team has to develop a relationship with those people to understand and respect what they're doing. They're going to school, they're helping their parents out, they're doing this, they're doing that. And without developing a little bit of a relationship, the turnover is just going to be higher. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is certainly contests and things, but, you know, you kind of have to get into the heart of the team members and, and try not to dig the hole. And then the second part of it is recruiting their friends. Yeah. You've got great team members. They got great friends. Right. And I think those two tactics could handle a lot of, uh, a lot of our turnovers.
1: Yeah. The turnover is brutal because you have all your training costs associated with that. They're not as productive at the beginning and there's no line on your balance sheet for turnover, but it's very expensive.
0: It is hugely expensive Mm -hmm. and, but you're absolutely right. If there was a line that showed the cost of turnover, the way that it's, I really haven't even seen the number since pre-pandemic. I haven't seen any restaurant association, everybody come up with what turnover is costing you anymore. I mean, it used to be like five grand for a part-time employee in loss of revenue and the cost of the cost of hiring, recruiting, training, and, and so on. But I mean, it could be twice that today. I don't know. Oh yeah. And when the turnover is that much higher, it's, it's an expensive part of the P&L.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The hidden <laughs> dirty,
0: the hidden dirty secret.
1: Right, yeah. And I've seen that, I think leadership for the management is typically one of the biggest factors of that turnover. If you can get a good manager in there, a good leader who can rally the troops, the turnover just really starts to come down. Kind of like you said, win the hearts and kind of know who they are and rally them. It really lessens the blow. Yeah, great. Awesome. The last thing I wanted to ask you, Don, because we're coming to time here, is the where you see things going. So maybe the next 12, 18 months or so, where you see the industry headed to.
0: Wow, 12, 18 months, that's that's interesting because it's going to go one of two ways. I mean, these last uh, 24 months, I mean, having P&L responsibility is if somehow you screwed up the last 24 months. What kind of operator right are you? Because uh, everybody's just, uh, I mean, it's just been great. But if we do head into some recessionary times, what I've noticed from the four sort of corners of the FEC business, as far as bowling, food, bar, games, if you use those as the four foundations of a bowling-anchored FEC facility, bowling and food will hold. When families come in, as long as they're working, they're going to continue to entertain. In Colorado, we always say, they may not go up the mountain 12 times in a winter. They'll go up three times, but they'll still want to spend time together and recreate together and have fun together. Yeah. So bowling, as long as the family feel secure in their income but with the little transition happens is games and bar tend to decline a little bit they're not necessary to the family getting together right. bowling is all about family getting together even three mm. generations right and people have to eat right we went through a little recessionary time in colorado in 2014 with oil and gas, as okay. did Oklahoma and Texas and all that kind of stuff. Okay. That's where we noticed it was bowling and food stayed, games and bar declined a little bit. So it sort of passes the gut check a little yeah. bit.
1: And they tend to buy a ticket too, bars,
0: yeah, expensive. Yes, Oops. that's right. And therefore, people sort of tend to calculate a little bit of ROI in their own head <laughs> as to, man, am I going to dump a hundred bucks in that game room? Right. Or am I going to feed the family?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So. At any rate, and since I've been in the business since since, uh, 1973, been through a few rocky roads from an economy standpoint.
1: Yeah. Any advice for uh, proprietors? It's
0: it's always a matter of, for the beauty about our business is that we can manage costs to the labor. So cost of goods, labor to the revenue, cost of goods, labor to revenue. Between those two, you're talking about 35, 40% of your. Sure. Outgo a lot of that is manageable, but it is it's always going to be a matter of making sure you got something relevant for everybody. I mean, on the weekend, we just want to get top price. If I can get 55 bucks an hour for bowling, we're gonna get 55 bucks an hour for bowling. Right. Weekdays between three and six, we have a happy hour. We sold it for six bucks an hour. So bowling is six bucks an hour during happy hour, 55 at prime time. So it's be relevant. Yeah. So, people, you know, what my favorite complaint is, I had to wait two hours and you're so high priced. It's like, well, which one of those two do you want me to fix? <laughs> yeah,
1: I take it would right.
0: But when you can offer something like six bucks a month, it's at least you got something for everybody. Right. And, and it's, I think during recessionary times, that's really important is yeah.
1: Yeah, I like that, and you know, I like the analogy that you, your buddy Tom, had about the airlines and the hotels. Same premise of when the demand is high, you increase price; when demand's low, then you discount. It makes yeah. a lot of intuitive sense
0: because when a when an hour goes by and around. the lane is empty, that is an hour you never. Get yeah,
1: back. right. Exactly. You can't get it back. Yeah. Inventory spoilage. Yeah, awesome.
0: We kind of uh, went to the same school, of hard knocks.
1: Yeah, right. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, both did some some time at Brunswick. Yeah. Awesome. Like I said, I want to be respectful for your time, Don. This has been an awesome conversation. I'm sure we could go on for another hour easily on the art and science of running a center. Yeah. Maybe we'll we'll do it again sometime, but anything if people are curious about, so, you know, getting any help on this, is there any spot you would send them to, to reach out or get in touch with you? Of
0: course, I'm a huge BPAA fan. Probably should have had a BPAA shirt on (laughs) and a big proponent of their education. Yes. Both online and in person and and their whole marketing suite and Strike ten entertainment. it is when I left Brunswick and became an independent operator, that's when I really became a huge fan of BPWA yeah. because and it was for the education and marketing. I mean certainly the cost savings through Smart buyers. right. Totally amazing. but there's always somebody at the BPWA that knows how to get a hold of me. And uh, so if anybody would like to, I mean, that'd be an easy way.
1: Awesome. Yeah, no, yeah. that's a great, one. I'm glad to give them a plug because they really are genuine and they do everything they can to help the proprietor. Yeah. Awesome. This has been a lot of fun, Don. I appreciate you taking the time to come on and will to do it again sometime.
0: Yes, of course. It was a pleasure to be with you and I mm-hmm. wish you and, uh, and bam, a really yeah. great success.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Of course. All right. I'll talk to you next time.
0: Take care.